So, Mark. Yes. I think we need to talk about slang. Ah, yes, the old short language, as my friend convinced me it stood for. So, according to Wikipedia, we don't know the origin of the word slang. It shows up in the 18th century and is associated with disreputable people. You can't trust a person who uses slang, my friend. Some people think it comes from a Scandinavian word, like the Norwegian slengendaven, which means (laughs) nickname. But other people say that's probably not that likely, or maybe it comes from, like, sling, like throwing language, a quick, fast way to do something. Or it comes from boom slang skin, which is a key ingredient in making a polyjuice potion. Exactly. You throw some slang in there. You got some laces. That's your lace wing flies. You got some corn. That's your bike corn horn. You mix it all together. You got polyjuice potion. Yeah. And somehow that bled over from the wizarding world and that alone. Yeah. That checks out. Yeah. Sounds the most logical to me. But that actually is a great thing to bring in, too, because, of course, from the wizarding world, we get this artificial slang. Terminology like muggles comes in to refer to groups of people. So do you have any particularly beloved examples of fictional slang, slang from movies, things like that? Some of my favorite dumb things are, like, weird phrases picked up from movies that no one knows anymore or like the fact that all that glitters is not gold comes from lord of the rings and dumb facts like that where it's just people whenever people are like ah yes all that glitters i'm like you are referring to aragorn also known as strider (laughs) king of gondor and arnor i must have known that but i certainly had forgotten it yeah isn't that weird yeah it is i'm trying to think of some other examples uh Because the movie we watched this week is just chock full of slang. Oh, yeah. But the interesting thing about this movie is it picks up on slang that teens are saying, but then it perpetuates it, where I feel now, whenever movies come out that try and use slang because of the internet, it's already outdated. Yes. Like, movies do not create slang anymore. They only respond to it, and usually poorly. The best version of it is when the movie is making fun of a character for doing that, like the principal in eighth grade who dabs and all the students hate him for it. Isn't that Tony Hale? I don't think so. No, Tony Hale is the principal in Love, Simon, who does maybe the same thing. I mean, it's a very easy joke, but played well, it's funny. Yeah, so now movies essentially have to realize that they will be outdated and only adults use current teen slang. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, and then you get examples of stuff like Buffy where they make up teen slang so they don't get outdated. Well, of course. I mean, that's another classic angle to take. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other movies that do that. Making up curse words is really common. Frack. That's the big example. Fetch. Fetch from Mean Girls. Which actually did happen in the most shocking twist of them all. People still describe things as fetch in reference to it never happening, which I feel like is full circle. Indeed. Yeah. Do you all have a favorite piece of slang from this week's movie? Obviously, it's Monet. That was a good one. (laughs) From far away, it's fine. But up close, it's just a mess. I feel like I have to go with the classic as if, because that really happened, and I probably said it at some point in my life. You absolutely did? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure I did. I feel like we all did. Probably. I've said it offhandedly, ugh, as if. Like that? It definitely happens. Yeah. I think my favorite would be early on when Christian is... Cher thinks, flirting with Cher. He tells her, like, oh, yeah, like, you're from around here. You must know where all the good clam bakes are. Oh, I did like that one. And I think we should all start calling parties clam bakes. 
you know, for a second, I thought maybe he had come from somewhere where they literally went to clam bakes every weekend. No, it's just dumb, made-up 40 slang that this weird <laughs> character who lives in apparently 1942 uses, but only him. And I even asked, I was like, was there a weird 40s revival in the 90s I didn't know about? But I'm pretty sure this is just a weird guy in a movie. No, it is true that Amy Heckerling, who wrote and directed it, is a big fan of gangster movies from the 30s and 40s. And her second movie was supposed to be like a traditional style gangster movie. It was a huge disaster. Did it ever come out of theaters? Yeah. Oh, okay. It just did very poorly. And I think that that probably inspired this in part. And then also, it's kind of a very teenage thing to just latch on to some particular identity and commit way too hard. And if that means calling parties clam bakes, then so be it. It's not uncommon for teenagers to latch on, but it is uncommon for kids that latch on to a weird shtick to be popular and do it well. And I think that's why it really stands out. Usually when teenagers, like, really latch on to something like the 40s, they would be ridiculed a lot. I mean, her dad makes fun of him. (laughs) And we don't know that he was popular. We didn't really see him hang out with anyone except for her. He hung out with Cher, so obviously he's popular. Yeah, but we do know Cher latches on to unpopular people to try to elevate them. Yeah, but by hanging out with her, it does work. Yeah. So he must be popular by the end if he's hanging out with Cher still. That checks out. Sure. Transitive property and whatnot. That's like how Fiona, by hanging out with us, becomes cool and popular. No, it's the other way around. I don't know about that. I don't think any of us are cool or popular because we are currently talking about Clueless <laughs> on a podcast we record in our dining room. Sounds pretty cool to me. <laughs> I mean, I am... you think you're cool. I am offended, <laughs> sir. <laughs> if you don't think this is cool, you can leave. I will talk on my own for an hour. Yeah, we know you felt. <laughs> I can't imagine what an unmoderated Will Redmond podcast would be like. It would be two hours of Back to the Future. It would be a nightmare to listen to. In that spirit, should we get started? (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm a disco dancing, Oscar Wilde reading, Streisand ticket holding friend of Dorothy. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic romances to answer the age-old question, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even... Likeable. You know what? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. Either way, we're going to dig in and we're going to see what's there. This week, as promised, as you may have noticed, we are rejoined by the lady of lies herself, my sister Fiona. Welcome back to the show. I still take offense at that name. You said you didn't like being called the Duchess of Deception, so I changed it. It was just the words. It was the meaning. What about the Dame of Dissembling? No. No. What about the Madam of Misstatements? No. The, I couldn't think of something that started with F to go with falsehood. <laughs> what about the keeper of the keys or the countess of the clink? <laughs> what is this? I don't understand how I get on this podcast and somehow I'm the biggest liar in the world. <laughs> because you tell lots of lies. I do not. And more than once your dating advice has been lie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it worked in the movies. The best part is that by us constantly naming you a liar, no one will believe it when you deny the claim. This is canon now. There's no way for you to prove you're not a liar at this point. You guys are lucky I keep coming back. (laughs) I mean, we'll do it without you. (laughs) 
Yeah, but could we do a bad Christmas movie episode without her? No. We would maybe be freed from doing a bad Christmas movie. (laughs) That's not your favorite part of the year? The curse has been lifted. We're definitely doing The Night Before Christmas this year, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's Night with a K, the new Vanessa Hudgens Netflix movie. There's that one. There's also a really great one coming out. I believe it's called Christmas in the Wild. We talked about this. Did we? Yeah. With Rob Lowe. Yeah. And we go on a safari. I'm very excited about that. Oh boy, doesn't sound like Netflix is setting up for some terrible depiction of Africans at all. Don't forget Christmas Prince 3 also coming out. I didn't like the second one. No, the second one is garbage. Yeah, I think the third is going to be bad. If this movie doesn't either open or close with a guillotining of all the monarchy, this movie is trash. They deserve it by the end of the second one. They've done a terrible job running Aldovia. They lie to their people. Yeah. Which is bad. And also, they didn't let the girl keep her blog going. (laughs) Abolish all absolute monarchies. I've been trying to make this point, but they keep talking about the specific movie. I'm just about to be personally offended about someone not being allowed to continue their blog. Tenders the chicken not wordpress.com. So if you want to read more of Fiona's chicken tender thoughts, go to tenderisthechicken.wordpress.com. That's not what we're here for today, though. We are here to talk about Clueless, the 1995 high school romance comedy written and directed by Amy Hackerling. I just want to say, ten tent. You can cut this out, but chicken tender content some ten tent. Yeah, that's not staying in here. <laughs> no, but I thought of it and I needed you guys to share with this terrible thought that I had. I appreciated it, Mark. So, Fiona, we wanted you on here to talk about this because you are a Jane Austen nerd. Yes. Quite intensely. So, can you tell us a little bit about where that's tying into this story and sort of what's going on with Clueless? Tell us what the movie is and how it ties into that. Uh, so, Clueless is an adaptation of Emma. Which is one of Jane Austen's, I think she has, what, six novels, I believe. I should know. But the story of Emma is basically that she lives with her father. They're a very wealthy family. Her sister has been married and has two kids, and she just kind of lives with her dad. And her dad doesn't like to go outside. He's always afraid that if you step outside, you're going to get sick. He won't let you open the windows. You might get sick. He doesn't like you eating certain foods because you might get sick. He's very paranoid. So it's a little boring for her. So she finds entertainment in matchmaking and setting other people up. And the story starts, one of her greatest accomplishments is setting up her old governess with their neighbor, which was very upsetting to her father. He didn't understand why anyone would want to leave their house and get married. So then, like I said, she just fills her time. She's making matches and sort of through the story... She realizes that meddling in other people's lives doesn't always lead to the happy ending that it did in her one uh, success story. And throughout the whole story, she's never done anything for herself as well. She's kind of selfish, but she's never done anything for herself in a big picture until the end. She never really learns that lesson. She matchmakes a couple times. I guess she does learn it with the Elton thing, but... You know, it's never really made clear to her specifically that messing in other people's lives is bad. And I feel like that's one of the main things in Emma. Right. And there still are, like, the number... And I'd seen this movie once before. And I I don't even think I realized that it was Emma when I watched it the first time. But, like, all the parallels are there. In Emma, uh, Harriet, who is the Thai equivalent, wants to marry this farmer. And Emma convinces her that a farmer is far beneath... Harriet, but they don't even, I mean, Harriet is an orphan and everyone's like, nobody knows where she's from. She's probably just as poor as the farmer. And meanwhile, Emma is trying to set her up with this lord or with the vicar, Mr. Elton, 
And uh, he is not interested at all in Harriet. And then when Harriet ends up with the farmer, Emma is kind of like, oh, okay, you can be happy with a poor farmer. Well, that's a good lesson. (laughs) Right? But yeah, you're right. I don't think that Cher... She seems happy for Ty when Ty ends up with Travis. But I don't think she learns a lesson about not meddling and being selfish. I think a big part of it, larger than this, is... Amy Heckerling has talked a lot about how, in conceiving of this character, she was really inspired by Emma's positivity, and was just thinking, like, wow, it would be fascinating to know somebody who was pretty much unflappable, cheerful, going through life, trying to help people out. Heckerling does not describe herself that way. I was reading a story where a journalist talked about how her cell phone background is a picture of Peter Laurie screaming, because that's how she feels whenever her phone rings. But... She was in this period where, like, she had started off her film career by directing Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is a big hit. But then she makes her gangster movie and it bombs. She decided, oh, wait, women directors don't get to have a bomb. Like, then you wind up in director jail and you're out. So she tried to jump on something that would be a sure thing. So she directed European Vacation, which she hated, and then had a kid, sat out for a while. She made Look Who's Talking, but then this is her next Look Who's Talking is a hit, but this is like a big project for her based around that idea of like, what if we took a really positive person and gave them a story here? And that's definitely Cher. Cher's one of the happiest people I've seen in a movie in she's a long so time. She's so cheerful. Even when bad things happen to her, like she gets those bad grades and she's just like, oh no, I got this. And she talks her way into better grades. She's very positive. She is. She commits multiple hit and runs though. Yes. Sometimes you should be a bit flappable. <laughs> Flap a bit. It really bothered me watching her because she could afford to replace all these post boxes and just driving away after totally knocking down people. Or in the driver's test, smashing people's mirrors. She offered to leave a note. Well, she asked if she should and then didn't. Right, because the driver's ed, uh, whatever, test messiah, he called himself, didn't let her. That should be the title. It should be driver's test messiah. They bring the good news that you can now drive on your own. So, but they also the judge you. And the people who you fail. Do- right. At the end of the days, the That's good people and the bad people are separated. The wheat yeah. and the chaff. The, exactly. The, the drivers the and the not drivers. <laughs> it all maps out perfectly. So Heckerling has this idea, and it's originally developed as a TV show for Fox, which is a new network at this point. They're looking for projects. It starts out as a TV show called No Worries, appropriately enough. Then it becomes, this is a great title, I Was a Teenage Teenager. And at some point in the process, the pilot got turned into a movie. So it moved from Fox TV over to Fox, the film studio, where it kind of languished for a while. I think most significantly of the changes the studio wanted was they did not want them to be ex-step-siblings because they thought it was weird and kind of incestuous. I thought so too, and that is not how it happens in Emma. Really? It's her brother-in-law. Her sister's husband's brother. Okay. Yeah. Still a little close, but not nearly as weird. So the movie kind of like hangs around for a while, and eventually Fox put it in turnaround, at which point they weren't sure what was going to happen until... Scott Rudin got on board and brought it to Paramount after they had shopped it around with a $13 million budget and the Aerosmith videos that Alicia Silverstone starred in as being like, this is the girl we want. There's also a TV show called Clueless. So that is a sequel to this movie. Yes. It comes out afterwards. And some of the main cast is in it. Alicia Silverstone is not. Paul Rudd is not. But some of the supporting cast are. 
It ran for three seasons, and Heckerling worked on the first season. I think she wrote and directed four episodes. Stacy Dash is in that show. Okay, so is this where we talk about Stacy Dash? What happened? Watching this movie, all I could think about was, what is going on with Stacy Dash? Who knows? She ran for Congress. Did she? <laughs> in theory, she ran as a Republican in some California district. But, like, did she get nominated? I genuinely don't know. I don't know either. All it says on Wikipedia is that she ran. I couldn't tell you any more specifics. Bizarre. She is now credited on Wikipedia as actress, comma, Fox News contributor. I mean, she does a lot of that. Yeah, more than her acting these days, I think. I mean, they love black Republicans. They do. Also, she's going to be in a movie called Roe v. Wade. And based on her current profile, you can imagine which side that movie takes. I thought that already came out. Did it already come out? Oh, no, it didn't. Right. I'm sorry. It didn't come out because, like, weird crap keeps happening to its funding because they're doing a lot of stunt casting for this movie. Like, it's a movie that's just designed to trigger the libs. Um, You may not know this, but Milo Yiannopoulos is also in this movie. Oh. It's that kind of project. It's even worse than I thought. Yeah, it's just a trigger the libs movie. It's not even the, like, Christian cinema that's, like, gonna congratulate you for being on the right side. It just exists to make people angry. That's trash. Indeed. Um, other people who are in this movie, of course, this is Paul Rudd's first movie. And from here, he starts to move into things. He's in Wet Hot American Summer later on. He's got other stuff coming on. Progressively gets more attractive as time goes on. Right, eventually. He's attractive in this one. Yeah, but have you seen Paul Rudd now? Yeah, he's hotter now. Yeah. Okay, He's not unattractive. He started at a high bar. It's just only gotten better from here. Okay, that's true. Uh, my favorite story about Paul Rudd for this movie is that he read for basically every male character, including Murray, because they were just, like, trying to see him a lot and from, like, different character styles. And so he talked in interviews about reading for Murray and being like, wow, this is a really interesting character, like a white guy who's trying to pretend he's a black guy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have been an interesting movie. <laughs> I don't think this movie would be as lauded today as it is if that was the choice they made. Well, I mean, I don't think literally trying to be black, but, like, the dude in Barbershop who's, like, sort of performatively black because of who he hangs around. Yeah. Murray's also just the worst. Yes. I love his braces, though. It's such a particular high school touch. Oh, they look so bad. Which is great, because nobody's braces look good. That's true. One of my favorite bits in this movie is the background shots always include at least one student that has a plastic surgery bandage on. Like a lot of nose braces, someone has their chin done. Very much a nice comment on Beverly Hills culture. Absolutely. And like very particularly 90s Beverly Hills culture. Like there's a lot of funny period details that I really appreciated. Every single outfit for one. Yeah. And all the technology is great. I love seeing all the tech, like her giant PC that she uses to dress herself in the morning. That thing is awesome. It's like the Jetsons. Her like, closet is still awesome. Yeah, so like there's a computer program that will like match outfits together. It'll tell her if they match or not. And she'll be like, I want to wear this yellowy kind of stuff. And then it tells her, here are all the things you should do. And then her giant automated closet will rotate along which hangers she can access to grab them. It's like watching like a 50s sci-fi show. It definitely feels very World of Tomorrow. Yeah. My favorite 90s thing is when the skateboarder guy, Travis, is talking about all the stickers on his skateboard. And he's like, I worried it might be too busy. Like, maybe it should just be white with, like, one decorative statement. Like, Marvin the Martian. And, like, remembering in the 90s when, like, grunge Looney Tunes were a big deal? 
Yep. Like the only Looney Tunes property that came out in the period was Space Jam. But you saw all these people with like their denim jackets with like Taz on the back. Or like Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck wearing gold chains and backwards baseball hats. What a weird time for fashion. It was such a bizarre window. They also page each other in this movie. That's what I truly love. Which is great. And the cell phones were great looking too. When Dion complains, ugh, I hate how often Murray pages me. It's like, this is the greatest line in cinema history. <laughs> so all I could think about during that was I had been reading a bunch of stories about the development of the Clueless musical because every movie we cover has been made into a musical. Does that actually exist? Yeah, it was up off Broadway from November of last year to January this year. Wait, so it's like a recent thing? Yeah, and it, it was adapted by Amy Harkeling. Why didn't I see this? I don't know. It was apparently fine. Okay. Most of the musicals based off of movies we cover, apparently, are very fine. Yeah, but I was reading this story, and they were talking about how, in rehearsing one of the scenes involving the cell phones, the, like, teenage actress playing Cher had to keep being reminded to close her cell phone because it was such an alien concept. These cell phones are in this movie to show how rich the kids are. Right. These are not a normal thing. This is something that most people would not have. And I think that's really fun to watch, too. These kids... And how casually they use them, like, in the hallways at school. Because I don't think Ty has a cell phone, right? Right. Yeah. The kids are just talking on their phones in class, openly. My favorite was when she and Dion were talking on their phones and then walked right next to each other and i really thought they were going to just keep talking on their phones as they walked next to each other i was a little disappointed that they didn't i'm sorry so this movie there's a lot coming out of it like i said it's heckerling sort of on the rebound after the lows of having to make european vacation she makes look who's talking which is pretty well received and then she makes this which was a long process to get into development and paramount didn't have a ton of faith on it they only originally opened it on like 500 screens, but it did really, really well on them. It was number one on its opening day. It was overall number two for that weekend. And it went on to make about $56 million against that $13 million budget. Convert that today. That's like $117 million. Oh my God. Yeah, this movie was a hit. My favorite story that I was reading was a critic talking about how they took a friend to see the movie like halfway through its first week of release on like a Tuesday or Wednesday. And there were people in the audience quoting it. And so the critic was like, so these people have probably seen the movie several times already. It's like Fiona when a new Noah Centineo movie comes out on Netflix. Oh, whoa, whoa. Tell me I'm wrong. That was a Noah Centineo quote. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Whoa, whoa, whoa is a quote (laughs) of a person? That's like saying, how are you doing? Oh, that's a Ben Stiller quote. (laughs) It's a big deal if you look up any article online about To All The Boys, they're going to rave about Peter Kaminsky and his woe-woes. Are you sure that's not like a euphemism for something? Like Peter Kaminsky's woe-woes? No, it's it's not. I want to be clear. This movie is a goddamn treasure. This movie is a masterpiece. I love this movie. I had never seen this before. I've seen it. I just beamed the whole time. I've seen it once before, and I really liked it that time. And this time I was like, this movie is transcendent. It's a masterpiece. Then, like, the style of the narration made me think of the books of The Princess Diaries. So there are young adult books set in the Clueless universe, if you want to read those. There's, like, 20 of them. The Clueliverse? Exactly. So, Fiona, I think what we need you to do is to read them all and tell us about them. Yeah. 
20 bucks? Something like that, yeah. Short? Probably. Hashtag C summaries. <laughs> I mean, I'll take them. I'm potentially willing to do this. All right. It'll help her 100 books a year count. Yeah, Fiona sets a goal of how, how many books are you trying to read this year? Uh, let me check. I think it's it's either 20 or 25. She sets a target every year, but she also has this separate requirement that she can't get rid of a book unless she's read it. So towards the end of the year, she'll pad out her numbers by reading children's books, like books targeted at like fifth or sixth graders. Picture books. No. They're like chapter books. Right. These are books targeted at, at like fifth graders that you still have on shelves at our parents' house. And so in like the month of December, you're sitting there reading these giant print books with like three <laughs> sentences a page. <laughs> because you gotta run sentences. up the score. More than three sentences. My goal is twenty and I'm at eight right now. Okay. How does that compare to like in past years? How many children's books are you gonna be reading? Uh last year I don't think I had to read any because I read all of the Princess Diaries books. <laughs> so what you're saying is you read like 12. But then there are the half books and the three quarters. Oh, right. I forgot. You read all the fraction ones. The fraction we did not cover the fractions. Oh, I read them all. There is one that counts as a book for adults, though. Oh, the the sequel. Yeah. The uh, Royal Wedding or whatever. Something like that. Yeah. I didn't like that one. I'm sorry to hear that. But... It got me to my account for 2018. There you go. You should send Meg Cabot a nice thank you note. Anyway, Clueless is great. Should it we rules. break down the romance? Let's do it. So every week, we take the romantic plotline of a movie, and we break it down to the five points that best exemplify, summarize it, etc. So Fiona, as our guest, as our expert on this film, why don't you start us off with point number one? So at the beginning of the movie, Cher, basically, she's living her life. She is trying to get better grades. She starts her matchmaking, just like Emma, with the two teachers, which were successful. Yeah, it works really well. I'm impressed with how that worked. And, uh, Wallace Shawn in this movie is fun. He's a bad teacher, but he's a little bit fun where he's like willing to give them some rope to be a little goofy. Aren't all teachers in movies bad teachers? Yes. We're doing a bit of teacher talk. But... What class does Wallace Shawn teach? It's gotta be some sort of debate. It's debate. Why do all of these movies have their protagonist oh gosh, in a debate class? Right. Princess Diaries. And LA Enchanted. All masterpieces. What? <laughs> LA Enchanted is no masterpiece. Oh, it definitely is. It is not. It is. It's a way to have your character make arguments to show later in the movie when they have to argue that they know how to do it. It's just a little bit weird that all of these movies have it. Especially because I don't know anyone that took a debate class. I worked at a school at one point that offered one, but I don't think it was anything like the classes we see in these movies. I do have to say, I really enjoyed Cher's little speeches. Oh, they're all funny. I, as a teacher, really appreciated any time the teacher said, what do you think? And people would just raise their hand and be like, um, I vaguely hurt somewhere. Can I go to the nurse? Because, like, what are you going to do? Say, no, you don't. Well, they just shared what they were thinking. I think the better question is, what does the teacher she sets Wallace Shawn up with teach? I think history and also is a guidance counselor. Yeah, I thought she was doing, like, environmental science. No. She, she had- said something about the French Revolution. But her poster was about Greenpeace. Right. Her class is incoherent. Yeah, that's the thing. Both of these teachers are bad. Don't invite children to your wedding. <laughs> I need to make this clear. This movie ends at a wedding between the teachers. All of the attendees are high schoolers. Plus the gym teacher. And the gym teacher. But 
I'm getting the sense that neither of these teachers had friends to invite. So if they wanted to fill it up and make it look like they were popular, they had to invite students like the fact that Cher was a bridesmaid at this wedding. They're just bodies for Instagram. Yeah. Also, in case you were wondering, yes, the gym teacher is implied to be a lesbian. She's basically outright stated to be a lesbian. Yeah, I mean, she wore a suit and tie to the wedding. No, I mean, like, the narration basically says... The narration oh. says she tends towards the same sex, but... Oh, I didn't even hear that. It's never, like, confirmed. Sure. Anyway, point number one. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I was going to correct you and say zero, but I did not bring a point zero this time. For once, you followed directions. You know what? All of my episodes have been very entertaining, even if they have 12 points. Just talk. Okay, so... Cher, she says she doesn't want to date anyone, in particular a high school boy, because they're gross and they're stupid. She is not wrong. Terrible fashion. And the fashion I see in this movie is pretty terrible. Whereas Cher matches perfectly thanks to her computer program. Yeah, I don't think she should get credit for being a fashionista when her computer is doing it. Unless she she wrote the program. She also has to buy the clothes. She does buy all the clothes. Maybe. Okay, I'll give her that. But even down to the point, if you pay attention in that first debate, she's wearing all yellow. It's a real cute outfit. Even her gum is yellow. Everything matches. That is true. Her best outfit by far is the leather jacket, white shirt, leather skirt look. Oh, that's a great one. So more on this. There's this guy, Elton, who is very into Cher. And I realized that... There was at one point when I yelled out, who is this guy? And that was when everyone was celebrating because the teachers were happy. They were being nice because they were dating everybody. And some guy kept going up and kissing Cher. That was Elton. So he is very into Cher. She's not aware of it, though. Then Ty comes to the school and Cher gets in her head that she's going to set Ty up with Elton. And she's really trying to make it happen. And they go to the party and she tells Ty to go hang out with Cher. Really, Ty just wants to hang out with Travis, who is the equivalent of the farmer. So then part of this point, too, is driving home from the party, Elton is driving Cher. He, like, manipulated the whole situation so that two of them would be together. And he tries to kiss her, and she rejects him. And that is point number one. He also takes it to the level where Cher describes it as sexual harassment. Oh, 100%. She gets out of the car. He's trying to get her back in the car, and she's not having any of it. I mean, he's kind of forcing himself on her. Oh, he absolutely is. And then he ends up leaving her where she gets robbed at gunpoint in the parking lot of a liquor store. Very upsetting. Yeah. Also, dude, you're, like, pulling your car over to make out, and you just pull not even into a parking spot at a liquor store? Right, in a well-lit parking lot. It's a very weird move. Also bad. Don't do that. Who does Cher call? When she gets to the payphone. She calls Rudd. She calls Josh, who is her stepbrother, let me remind you. Stepbrother of four months. Yeah, their parents were married for like four months, but as Cher's dad says, you divorce wives, not children. So he has continued to like nurture Josh because Josh wants to be a lawyer like him. He's like helping Josh get experience and things like that. And Josh is around as not an actual child, but as like a child figure to her father. Right. One thing I want to notice while we're on the subject very briefly of Ty is that the first time Ty comes over to Cher's house, Cher is then like arguing with Josh about whether she, Cher, is like a serious person or not, whether she's altruistic helping people out. And when they come back, Ty is just singing along to jingles on the TV. And it made me think of Fiona listening to the radio when we were kids because Fiona would try to quiz me and Mora on whether we could complete the jingles from radio ads. I do not remember this. 
this a hundred percent happened where you would like sing the first half of a jingle and make us finish it because life with you was a series of pointless quizzes and weird games The giant grocery store one at the time. Uh, the slogan was, we've got fresh ideas. <laughs> Great values, too. At Giant, my giant. Right. We definitely had to do uh, Empire Rugs. Empire We had to do Stanley Steamer, the carpet cleaner. That can't be. That was definitely in there. The Moto Photo commercial. We had to do the dialogue for that one. Dorothy and Toto? Yeah, that one. We were forced to demonstrate our knowledge of these things because Fiona is an agent of the capitalist machine. I don't remember this, and why did you go along with it? I don't know. Why do we do anything? Because we made the foolish decision to trust you. So that's what I was thinking of during this movie. I was thinking Fiona as, like, the weirdest tyrant. <laughs> All right. So what's point number two? Where'd you go? He arrives like a bolt of lightning. Right, which is, again, going back to Emma, there's this guy, Frank Churchill, who they all talk about, he's this very handsome guy, he's the son of the man that Emma's governess is now married to, and everyone is like, oh, when Frank Churchill comes to town, we'll set him up with Emma. But, so Christian comes to school, he asks about some clam bakes happening. Oh yeah, we're calling all parties clam bakes from now on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So... He's giving her attention, and she's like, who is this new guy? He's really cute. I'm definitely into him. So Cher decides she is into Christian, and they go to, I guess it's a frat party together. A frat clam bake. A frat clam bake, correct. But uh, this is the ska concert clam bake, right? Yes. Yeah, it's actually just the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones concert. So she and Christian go to this, and Josh, who is there working with her dad... To be clear, he's at Cher's house. He is not at the Money Money Boston's concert right, right. working at, with her dad. He's at Cher's house working with her dad on some big law, lawsuit that they're doing. And he says, I don't like this guy. I need to go to the party. He seems suspicious. He seems suspicious and concerned. The dad has already been like, are you a drinker? And Christian kind of dodges the question. He lies. Yeah, he claims to not be a drinker. Also, at that point, though, the dad does not care. It's just like, do whatever you need to do. I am busy. I've got too much work! Yeah. He is very busy. He does very much care about Cher and support her. Yeah, and yeah. she does the same for him. They have yeah. a really nice family I bond. I really like their relationship. It reminded me a little bit of Diane and her dad in Say Anything. Except he didn't go to jail. Right. So while we're at this frat... Clam bake. Cher and Christian are dancing. They seem to be having a really good time. Ty is there, standing really awkwardly by herself. No one's asking her to dance. People kind of are looking at her as they walk past. She's got a unique look at this point. She's wearing her overalls. Yes. And she also fell down the stairs as she walked in, and everybody saw it. And everybody, well, one guy asked her about it. So then, eventually, Josh comes in. He sees Ty standing by herself, and he decides to be nice. And go dance with her. But the whole time, he's looking over at Cher. Wow. And the whole time, Christian is looking at any man in the room. <laughs> it's set up very well where Cher is going on about how he's totally uninterested in any other girl. As we can see Christian across the room, like, leaning in real close and chatting up the bartender. And some girl comes over and touches his arm and he shoves her off. And then while he and Cher are dancing, he keeps, like, turning around and, like, dancing towards these other dudes. And then later they actually just cut to him standing in front of a painting of two men holding hands. It's so funny how unsubtle they are about this. Just Which is 
point out how ridiculous Cher is not noticing. Right. It's part of what's great. Is their kind of date going to be in one of the points? Yes. Okay. Should I go on to the next one? Do it. Okay, so the next point is when Cher and Christian are going to get together. He's got these videotapes he's going to bring. And Cher is panicking. She's like, we're going to have a night alone together. This could be it. We're going to go all the way. And she does all this makeup. She's so flushed. And Dion can't get the red out of face. She keeps trying to put more makeup on. It doesn't really seem to work. It just gets progressively worse. Right. So Christian comes over. She gives him a tour of the house. Oh, wait. First, let's talk about the cookies she makes. Oh, my God. She has the log of cookie dough that she doesn't slice and bake. She just puts the log on a pan. She doesn't put it on a pan. She <laughs> drops it onto a pan. Just a plop. Like three feet up. Like a turd dropping in the toilet. Disgusting. Uh, anyways, so then she puts it in the oven stop, and forgets about it. So when Christian shows up, he goes, is something burning? They go in and she discovers that she has totally burnt this log of cookie dough. But... They go on a tour around the house. Christian's really into the art that her dad has. And then she goes they, into the pool. And she's like, you want to go swimming? And he's like, no, no, let's just uh, watch some of these movies. Yep, videos. Videos. So they're up in her room watching Spartacus. Which she said he was... A movie about into. sweaty men. Yeah, he, she said he was really into it. And she decides to start playing footsie with him. And he looks very confused. My favorite part is when she says, oh, my feet are cold. And he goes, oh, okay. And puts a pillow over her feet. I thought of you, Fiona, immediately during that. Because I know that in such a circumstance, what you would want is to have a pillow put on your feet. I do not want pillows touching my feet. Fiona will scream if feet go near a pillow. I don't want a foot touching the pillow that I'm going to put my face on later. You just feel very strongly about it, and I thought that that would stand out to you as a very romantic thing to do. Because that is her pillow from her bed, and he just does it. I guess, but I don't let my feet touch my pillow. But you wouldn't do it for love? I don't know. No. Okay. Um, It's worth noting by now, too, that Cher on this date is, like, hoping to have sex with Christian. We are told that she is a virgin because she is very picky. I love the line where she's talking about, I'm very careful about what shoes I wear, and those things only go on my feet. Only go on your feet. Right. So she's decided, like, Christian's the one. We're going to do it. And then when she starts trying to flirt with him more, he's like, um, I'm tired. I have to go home. Bye. It's clear he's like, oh, I thought you knew I was gay (laughs) and has a panic attack in his head. It's very cute. Yeah. Yeah. So he leaves and she's torn up about it. And then we see her the next day in the car with Dion and her boyfriend's name that I can't remember. Murray. Murray. And uh, that's when Murray pulls out the line. Would you like to repeat it, Mark? Yeah, so he is laughing that they haven't figured it out when Cher talks about how he wouldn't have sex with her. And he describes him as a disco dancing, Oscar Wilde reading, Streisand ticket holding friend of Dorothy. And that's when Cher finally gets that he's gay. A wonderful descriptor. (laughs) Yeah. That's all I have for that point. All right, great. Keep us moving. Okay, so the next point... kind of decides that she wants to find love and that's actually that's after the same car ride when Dion almost gets them killed weaving in and out of all the lanes that's when they go on the freeway and they're screaming constantly as any time a car goes near them yes 
Like, a car can't get within four feet without them panicking. It's like watching Duel. Yeah. They get off the freeway, and Dion and Murray start making out, and Cher's like, oh, it's so nice that after that traumatic experience, they have someone to turn to. I would like to find love. This is the point where I'm thinking, okay, so Cher's going to end up with Wallace Shawn. <laughs> Not after all the work she put in setting him up with the other teacher. But that's where she learned, like... It's like a kind of a Cyrano situation oh. where really in the end we learned the person writing the notes was in love. Oh, okay, okay. So she's at home and she kind of gets in an argument with Josh. He's basically calling her bratty and selfish. And then she goes to take her driver's test and she's very distracted. At one point he says, if he ever saw her do anything that isn't 99% selfish, he'd die of shock. So she spends her entire driver's test thinking about Josh. Who, by the way, is like a very cool, he's probably like a college freshman. Yeah. He's very thinkery. We see him reading Nietzsche at one point. He's a college freshman who acts exactly like a college freshman does. Right. He's very active in an environmental group on campus that's trying to get Mark Wahlberg to plant a tree. Marky Mark Wahlberg. I like to think that that is their purpose of existence. Like, hi, welcome to the next meeting of the Get Mark Wahlberg to Plant a Tree Club. Marky Mark Wahlberg. They're not a, like, tree-loving group. They're specifically a Mark Wahlberg planting tree-loving group. You keep calling him by the wrong name. I'm sorry. He is full Marky Mark of this era, where they joke about him taking his pants off. I mean, that's what he does. So then she comes back home, she fails her test, and she sees Ty and Josh bonding. And she's like, that's kind of weird. And she goes inside with Ty, who says that she's completely over Elton. And in fact... She burns all of her Elton stuff. She burns all her Elton stuff, which... Here's the thing. I thought they maybe talked for about two days. I think that's part of why it's funny. I don't don't know why she's so attached. Yeah, she has things in her box that only a crazy person would have. So high school. They're all tied to the same night. Yes. The one time they hung out. Not even that night. It is tied to the exact moment where she gets a concussion and he helps her. And that is it for their interaction. Yeah. Uh, So Cher gets very upset when Ty then says that she likes Josh. And she kind of comes to the realization that she actually is in love with Josh, which is kind of upsetting to her because she's used to making fun of him and him making fun of her. And he's a brother-like figure in her life. But she can't help her feelings. And this is when I got really uncomfortable because he is her brother in a sense. I think their relationship is well built up over the course of the movie, though. Where, like, we do see that there is a level of affection there as they're, like, joking around. It starts off more hostile, but not truly hostile. And they come to respect each other more over the course of the movie. That is true. So then the last point, then, is when they are helping out with one of her dad's cases and they realize that Cher had messed up with the dates. Although that's the date her dad told her to search for, so I don't know why it's getting blamed on her. But they're sitting there, and the lawyer under her dad that reports to him, I guess, starts yelling at Cher, saying they've wasted all this time, they're going to lose the case. She runs away. Josh defends her to this lawyer, and he makes a comment about their little puppy love going on. But Cher actually overhears the whole thing. So the lawyer leaves. Josh goes up to comfort Cher, and they're talking, and he's like, well, my, your dad's the only person in this house who cares about me. And she says, no, he's not. And he says, what are you saying? Are you saying that you care for me? And then they kiss, and then they're together. And they go to the wedding, and she catches the bouquet, because he wanted her to, which is a little bit crazy, since they are in high school. Oh, he's in college. It's about the money, mostly. Yeah, that's true. They he wins $200. $200. Also, the only person there who could catch it 
and is of marrying age is a lesbian and couldn't get married at the time. So that is true. She was very excited about the bouquet toss. She was. It's like softball. <laughs> so that is where our movie ends. The story continues in the ABC and later UPN TV series because again, it's the '90s. That's how you know it's a good show. And actually, it's worth noting that last year, Paramount announced to Deadline that they had commissioned a script for another Clueless movie. Not clear if it's a remake or a follow-up or what the deal is. Heckerling is not involved. It's being written by the writer of Girl's Trip, but that is apparently happening. We'll see. I don't know how I feel about that. It's very unnecessary given how delightful a singular thing this movie is. Yeah, I don't understand why just because one thing was good, we have to just perpetuate it. Sometimes a thing is just good on its own. Right, but in this case, almost immediately, it does get expanded into a TV show and these novels. So it's not that Clueless has been this untouched thing, but I don't know that we need another movie here. We probably didn't need a musical. We probably didn't need any of this stuff. I mean, the thing is, it's just going to be another teen movie. If it's not going to be a direct remake, they're going to make a lot of changes, and you could just do an original teen movie and not call it Clueless. So it just winds up being a way to get butts in seats. Yeah, basically. Which is, on the one hand, understandable. On the other hand, frustrating. That's my guess. Like, you couldn't remake Clueless. Like, this movie is so singular of that era. I mean, you could try to update it. Yeah, you could try and update it, but again, with the whole, like, slang and pop culture moving faster than a movie can do, it'll probably be outdated by the time it comes out. I just worry about the way something like that would engage with, say, modern phones and social media. I worry that rather than do it really well, like something like 8th Grade does, it would wind up being a source of, like, crappy jokes. Yeah, Twitter jokes, like in Moana. God. The prime example. The worst part of that movie is that single Twitter joke. There's a joke when Moana first meets Maui and he signs her oar using like the beak of a bird. Mm -hmm. And he says that when you write your name using a bird, it's called a tweet. It's the worst joke in the movie. It's DreamWorks level shit. That's the problem. It's a DreamWorks joke in a Disney movie. Yeah. I thought you guys liked DreamWorks movies. No, we hate DreamWorks movies. We did our DreamWorks rankings last week, and there was one that we said was really good. Then we're like, some of these are okay, and then we're like, like half of these are dreadful. Yeah, the first three are in a league of their own, but the top one is in, like, its own echelon. A league of their own, though, is a movie you guys should do. It's next week! <laughs> it's oh, coming up next it's week! A great movie. Yeah, spoilers, a, guys! foreshadowing! Alright, speaking of wrapping things up, we've got this romance and clueless of Cher and Josh. What do we think? Believable? Yes. It's weird. Okay, but it is believable. It's plausible. Yeah. Actually, are any of you watching Veep currently? No. No. The current season of Veep has a storyline where Timothy Simon's character, Jonah, has married his ex-stepsister, and then they just realized that his mom and stepdad had been having an affair when he was born, and so they're actually just siblings. Oh, (laughs) Oh, God. And he's running for president, so it had been, like, a whole thing where they had been, like, really clarifying this isn't incest, and then they just found out that it was. Oh, my gosh. But I do think it's fairly believable. I think we see this romance build well. Yeah. But if we had to rate it, I don't think it's a 10 out of 10. No. Because it is a little bit wonky. Could we give it a 7? Sure. Yeah. Or is that too high? I'm feeling a 7. I'm good with a 7. Probably our most used number. 
It's the perfect number. number. It is a good one. All right. Now, do we think that Cher and Josh are dateable? I'm trying to think as like a as a teenager, straight teenage boy, and I can't. So maybe I think Josh is in that worst like college douchebag window. Josh will be great in two years. Exactly. But I I think he's dateable. I think he will be. Okay. I think Cher rules. Yeah. I think she would drive me nuts. I like the positivity. And she, like, genuinely does care about people. She does. That's true. She shows it in weird ways. And her, like, her whole project about, like, making people popular, it's not even done in a mean way. It's literally, I'm going to get this girlfriend. Yeah, she just sees a new girl who looks lost. And, and immediately like, says, come hang out with us. Yeah. yeah. She is a genuinely good person. She really is. I just... I think she's a bit much. I just don't know if I could handle that positive of a person. <laughs> To be honest. I think that's fair. I just don't think I can do it. I think she's great. Now, if you had to pick one person in the movie to date, who would it be? I, I think I would pick Josh. He's cute. He's smart. He's funny. He's a little bit annoying. But also, I think that'll go away soon. And we do know that he grows up to look even more handsome than he is in this movie. Paul Rudd just gets hotter. It's Paul Rudd. Yeah. I mean, like, I saw Endgame last week. And, like, Ant-Man's looking good. Yeah. Who would you date, Will? Um, I don't know. A lot of these characters are, like, real weirdos. Yeah. Is it the teacher whose actress's name is Twink? (laughs) I genuinely think Cher is, like, the most dateable person in the movie. Yeah. So I think I'm gonna go with that. She's awesome. I'm leaning towards Christian because he's gay and describes things as clambakes. I think you would have fun at a clambake with Christian. I think he would be fun. Alright, cool. Um, last question. Do we think that Josh and Cher would stay together? Okay. Mark, what do you think? No. It's a high school, college romance. He's going to dump her by sophomore year. Or he might get written out of the TV show, which is what happened after season one. (laughs) Or that. Fair. Okay. So I think that about does it for us for this week. Yeah? Yeah. Clueless. Go watch it if you haven't seen it. It's so good. It's It's so so funny. I I beamed the entire time. Looking towards next week, as Fiona unintentionally alluded to, we are going to be covering the all-time great baseball movie a league of their own it has madonna it has rosie it has gina davis yes i cannot wait it's gonna be the best so mark you've never seen it right no not yet i cannot wait for you to meet marla hooch i'm so excited um so fiona when we were children and we watched the olympics you would make us stand up and put our hands over our hearts anytime the national anthem played did you ever feel the impulse to do something similar when the All-American Girls Baseball League song played? <laughs> it's a great song. It is a great song. It's a great song. Betty Spaghetti wrote it. Yeah. Until then, of course, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. You can also always rate, review, and subscribe to the show to help others find us. All right. Last question before we go. Fiona, what is the best piece of dating advice you got from Clueless? First, you should be a matchmaker to everyone else in your life. All right. And then you just get whoever's left over. Yeah, because, yeah, they'll be the best one because you set people up with the other people that aren't for you. Cool. Mark? Well, my first thought, which is gross, is maybe don't look too far outside the home. But that is the (laughs) takeaway of this movie. That's what I was thinking, and I cannot endorse that. (laughs) Should my answer be, have your students set you up? Maybe. It works for Wallace Shawn. Works for them. All right. 
There you go. Until next time, I am a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye.